netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Hi, and welcome to the FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Our topic for this episode of the FX Podcast is the VFX work done by Digital Main for the film Black Adam. Our guest is Nikos Kalsidis. He's VFX supervisor there at DD for Black Adam. He's actually been at DD since 1995, a healthy run at the company, working his way up through the ranks to his current role as VFX supervisor. And Mike and Nikos discuss uh, virtual production aspects of the film, as well as DD's work on Black Adam's cloak, which was a mix of practical cloak shot on set, along with CG elements to create the shredding and various impact effects of the bullets on Dwayne Johnson's cloak and actually also doing full CG shots to replace what was done on sets where it was warranted. Before we get to the interview, I just want to mention that during the week of November 21st, we're having our annual Black Friday Cyber Monday sale over at our sister site, fxphd.com. It's the only discounts of the year we offer at the site with 30% off the FXPHD Visual Effects Training Memberships, Kevin Shaw's outstanding Introduction to HER course, as well as some brand new Resolve 18 training from Warren Eagles that we're launching the week of the sale. So head on over to fxphd.com and check it out. All right, so let's go ahead and cross the interview now and join Mike and Nikos. So thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. How are things in uh, in sunny LA, or are they in fact sunny in LA? Uh, It's pretty good. It rained the last few days, but sun's come out and uh, back to normal again. So we're always going to start discussing the film in a second, but are you guys still distributed? Is everyone back in the office? Like, How does it now run for, for you guys? No, actually, we we are still WFH working from home, and really? yes, we are. There, there, there are a few people that uh, they have chosen to work at the facility because we still have our facilities, and they, they, it's it's one or the other. I, I fortunately have a certain hybrid solution, so I could go in at certain times of the week, and I could see some of the shots uh, on a larger screen format. Uh, so we could make some final determinations. So uh, yeah, we, we we it's a mixed bag for the artists and the supervisors, uh, but so far it's it, the the facility has been really accommodating to the employees. Yeah. So let's get back to to Black Adam. So when did you guys first get involved with the project? Okay, so it's 2022, and we delivered in August of 2022, and we. We actually were awarded the show the beginning of 2021. So about, I'd say January, late January, February was awarded to us. Uh, We started bidding on it in fall of 2020. Um, However, we were bidding on it before then for uh, for, uh, the beginning of the year, which was about February 2020, uh, just before COVID hit. And so that, that then that kind of went away. However, Bill Westenhofer, from what I understand, and the studio side visual effects supervisor, was continuing to work on it in regards to previs and uh, you know, working on the bid, etc. Um, but we more or less left the project and came back later that year um, for, for the new bids. Before then, however, somewhere in between, uh, Jay Barton, visual effects supervisor at Digital Domain, he he actually overlooked a fandom piece that we did that year with Dwayne Johnson in a mine environment, which was for Black Adam as a promotional piece. 
So we, we've been on and off it since 2020. Just expand on that. You, did you call it a phantom piece? What was that? A Just fandom, a fandom. Uh, it's a, oh, it's fan a, piece, right? Yeah, fandom. It's for yeah. decent convention. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? These days you need to be able to generate what is basically final imagery that people are literally judging the film by way before you actually make the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, there's a lot that goes into that for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. You can even say the same thing for uh, creating a lot of content you know, on set for LED yep. content, um, you know, just before we're about to shoot. And, but you know, this wasn't a project thing. that you were doing virtual production on, was it? You were just speaking generally? Or were you we using were, VP? Yes. We did do virtual production on Black Adam. Oh, really? What was that for? Or which segment was that for? Uh, I, I would say that each of the vendors, including Digital Domain, had our own sequences that we were working on uh, that we were responsible to create content for the LED produ virtual production in the set on in Atlanta and in Los Angeles. There was two shoots that we did on, on the LED stages. Right. And uh, the, the content that we did was for the Rock of Eternity sequence, which was in the beginning of the film where Black Adam first appears. We did it for the Mine Rescue ex exterior sequence. And we did some for Adriana's apartment, going down the staircase. And we also did it for interrogation in the clouds, where Black Adam was interrogating the, the mercenaries, where he lets go of them, and Hawkman had to go rescue them before they fought to their death. I'm really impressed that the entire production pulled off, in particular, the virtual production stuff in the Rock of Eternity set, I think you described it as, um, because the problem that I see with LED uh you know stages is we tend to like get a little bit kind of uh flatter blacks it just doesn't seem quite as like uh deep and rich just because you know you've got led screens that are being eliminated by the light that has to light up the actors um but it looked really really good like how are you feeling about that in terms of virtual production now do you feel like those problems have been addressed i mean clearly they were in this film or are they still issues in just trying to get those images to really sit in there i believe that in order to have virtual production to work 100%, we need to have everyone on board. The way that it was designed, the way it, it was more or less conceptualized, created for, uh, with the lens that we wanted to use, etc. So when it goes on set, the DP's also in on it, and the director's in on it, Everyone, everyone's playing by the same game, how it was conceptualized. Um, if you go onto that set and all of a sudden that, you know, you, you prepared this scene that has a 70 millimeter lens, and then all of a sudden you're shooting it with a 20, 24, uh, it, it somehow it, it didn't work, would break, more or less have to replace the background. And, you know, we use it for the interactive light that we see on the characters, which, which goes a long way. There's no question about it. In general, we had to replace the background and uh, more or less kept it for the interactive light. Yeah, because that's really kind of the spectrum, isn't it? There's there's two kind of ways that you can think about that. So one is if you describe, um, say, three scenes in that you did, like the apartment scene is kind of perfect, right? It's not high con lighting like the cloud sequences, and it's not dark, deep, rich blacks like the the uh, the Rock of Eternity sequence. Kind of a sweet spot, um, much in the same way that like uh, Magic Hour is. Um, for the environment being captured in camera. But then the other trick is, of course, if you've got 
say the cloud sequence and you're replacing the background, you just get such terrific ambient light on the actors. And right. uh, yeah, with the lightning bolts that are happening yeah. in the, the storm sequence and you actually, and because uh, Dwayne Johnson has a really nice shiny <laughs> head on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, persona. He has, you know, a lot of that sort of reflections that we get from, from the background. Yeah. And, uh, and then when we, when we got there, we, we created the content and uh, the DP, didn't feel that it, it it didn't have the high dynamic range coming out of the LED wall. So yeah, it's hard. He, yeah. he more or less took out content that had the interactive lightning bolts, and he really just cranked it, cranked the exposure, cranked the gamma all the way up as as they could on set, just so we could get that interactive light onto the actors, which yeah, stayed in the final image. Yeah, because in a sense, like the camera is capturing a pretty wide dynamic range and whether or not the LED screens can fully do the dynamic range that you need, which obviously is impossible with bright sun. Um, nevertheless, the light that's falling on the actor is inherently going to light the actor with that kind of uh, realism that you need. I, I don't know it's the case with Dwayne Johnson, but obviously just speaking generally for actors, it's also got to be a help for just people getting, like costume, getting in character, right? Understanding what's going on, just having a feel for the uh, the environment. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, they these guys are shooting on green screens all day and they have no idea what this final output's going to look like. And then they walk onto a stage where they actually see the content and it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's fantastic. You know, it's something that you could see. This is where this industry is going, you know, for, for everybody, for that matter, uh, in regards to, you know, the actors seeing themselves in this environment, as well as, you know, the post visual effects that we have to do afterwards. I just, I, I just feel like it's, it's going to mature, you know, this, this, it's only going to get better in regards to how we handle the LEDs, the content, how, how to get everybody else on board uh, to, for final execution. So just staying on VFX in the environment of a virtual production stage, um, like the signature of Black Adam is that he hovers, like he has this, you know, Superman-esque floating uh, flight capability. Um, but of course, in reality, you have to have an actor suspended. You can either hold them up from underneath, which I know they did in some shots, or or an elaborate new wire rig, which they also did in some shots. But how does that integrate into an LED volume? Because obviously you expect to have access over the top of it. And if, once you remove the top of an LED volume, it's losing a lot of the ambient light. Was it just like, was it difficult? And also, was it a more or less complex doing the rig removal in these situations? Because on a green screen, of course, you just help by the fact it's a green screen. That's right. Uh, in these particular cases, with our shots and the sequences, uh, we we replaced all of the background and only used the LEDs for interactive lighting on the characters. And so whatever rigs that were on the characters, including Black Adam and the mercenaries, we we either painted it out, replaced the body armor or, or his costume uh, with all CG in some cases. Uh, but uh, and, and then matched what was on set with the interactive light that we're seeing on his head onto the suit, onto the characters, onto the background with the lightning, and we synced everything together in, in post. Just one last question on that virtual environment. I mean, of course, the LED wall can produce in real time what's required to match the camera movement, but the lightning itself, the actual effects, were they predetermined when they would go off or was there some way that someone on set could you know press a button and cause an instant flash yeah there, there could be we had the option of doing both for dmx on set you could actually go ahead and pull a trigger press on a trigger and you you would have constant lightning 
and we had it on a loop and and then the dp had the option of turning it on and off himself great great so uh let's get back to the suit and of course the cape cloak cloak what did i say cape i make a mistake mistake mike it's is it a cape oh no no it's a cloak with a hoodie right yeah. you're absolutely right the cloak okay but one of the, the great trademarks in that opening sequence is how he just gets you know rained on by bullets and of course uh you know it doesn't affect him but um i guess the two aspects is like the cloak has to move and float in the way that's artistically valid and then second it has to react somewhat to the bullet hits albeit um not being completely shredded i i imagine that required a bunch of digital cloth sims but how did you go about that um they they had a cloak on set that he wore and they had a lot of interactive light where would represent what the muzzle flashes would be and in the end we we had to replace a lot of that cloak as you said to so it could interact with the bullet hits and it needed to be shredded in cg so in some cases as we were replacing his cloak that he wore we had to weigh and see, well, does it make sense? And would it be easier if we just go ahead and do a whole CG shot and replace all of it? And and it was more or less a mixed bag. We did both. We we replaced his cloak in some cases and where it seemed necessary or actually a bit easier, we replaced himself as well because he was kind of hidden in the cloak at a lot of times. And it was more or less pretty simple. Just go ahead and and replace him along with the cloak. Uh, the cloak itself was uh, a little bit more elaborate than what we expected it to be, um, especially when they shot him really close up, head and shoulders. And and not only did we have to simulate the cloak as it was being shot, had to have some effect simulation where it's 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 shredding and holes are coming out of it. And because it was so close, we also gave it some sort of fibers or you, just, you could say uh, peach fuzz hair on the cloak itself just so you could actually see the fine fibers if if you're looking at it for more of a believability and plus how how light actually shines on a diffused cloth you know it does pick up the the diffuse values of a hair or the fibers i should say that are similar to hair that that helped us out for uh, photorealism of that cloak yeah i was going to ask that as my next question actually because it did have that uh, rough hewn look obviously uh, effectively being a period piece um, of, you know, it wasn't a modern manufactured fabric, so it wasn't a tight weave, which as you just said, and this is my next question, is like it just must have been almost a hair seam problem as much as it was a cloak, uh, cloth seam problem. Right, so we had the look dev, um, we, had, <laughs> we had the effect simulation, um, uh, CFX simulation, and, and then we added hair on top of everything. To give it, and then you know the, all the interactive light that we wanted to sync with the cloak, with his suit, and with his face for those, especially with the real close-ups. I um I remember a little while ago that Dwayne Johnson was uh, we worked out mathematically the most scanned human in uh, human history because he'd been through the light stage the most number of times, um, and I'm sure that that's just gone up since, right? Because he's been obviously in more films and the films often require digital doubles. But how did you go about making the digital version uh, of the actor for the this you know the shots that you needed to have a digital double? Right. So the primary vendor in creating the Dwayne Johnson asset for Black Adam 
was Weta, and we were secondaries on that. So we, we waited for them to actually completed their asset. They passed it over to us. Um, and then what 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 we decided to do internally is to um, do further uh, facial modeling uh, for certain expressions that we felt that we needed. And so we we got the scans from production and we've had our facial modelers go ahead and give us more expression so we could put into the rig um, to to give us that more finer realisms that that we thought that he needed for his expressions. Um, on top of that, uh, if there was anything that we needed above and beyond that, we wanted to be secure. And we did do a charlatan shoot for machine learning on set with Dwayne Johnson. And uh, we, we had that information so we could process internally. And, um, and for only just a couple of shots, we thought it would be a lot more. Only for a couple of shots we needed it for, but for the rest of the shots, we our digital held up pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, like the number of times I speak to you guys, or for that matter, Weta, and be it Thanos, She-Hulk, or now this, there seems to be, um, you know, and I mean this as a great compliment, like a huge amount of uh, work that ends up either going to one or the two of you, but then you collaborate a lot, right? So you must have a fairly good pipeline in transferring those assets now, because it's not like you haven't done it before. I think that's um, the case for a lot of the vendors. You know, it, I would also throw ILM into the mix with that, you yep. know, because we've, we've shared a lot of assets over this last year, couple of years, if not last decade or so, where it's, it's becoming a little bit easier, <laughs> I dare say, uh, to ingest their assets you know, uh, and understand what we are receiving from them when it comes to different vendors. You do, though, have your own, uh, dare I say, secret source. I mean, uh, Weta certainly has their um, uh, sort of stuff, and for Lord and knows they use their own uh, spectral renderer, but you have Charlton and, again, many uh, uh, innovative uh, additions to the technology pipeline that uh, DD's come up with. To just talk about Charlton for a second, because for those that don't know it, I just explain what that is. I think machine learning is of great interest to people at the moment. Well, we bring an actor into um, um, a multi-camera array. You know, in, in this case, we had about 13 cameras that we recorded them with. Um, and well, we had a lot of cameras, but we, we, we used 13 cameras to record Dwayne Johnson with, and, and he had to perform a certain amount of visemes, uh, saying a certain script, that he has to say, which was is the script uh, has a short amount of words that are used to get the maximum amount of facial performance from a human being. And then we have him go ahead and perform these, these sentences, the script, uh, as he's rotating his head, rotating his eyes, and even a, a subtle different change of lighting on him uh, throughout. So we could see what it looks like with different specularity or diffuse values. On his head, we take all that footage, and and we have a certain process where we could, quote unquote, feed it into the computer for machine learning. And then after that, uh, we we have a certain way of doing it, and it, it comes out is is a a a two D comp comp solution that we've been using uh, to add to it. That's actually driven by either some sort of facial performance. Or, animation that we get from the animation department. Um, and then that drives our machine learning charlatan 
to give us some sort of results that, that we could apply in the call. So this is really good for if there's, there's uh, certain points where we feel like the eyes are just not cutting it. it it's just not looking right. We don't want to go into that uncanny valley. We have this, 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 this different technique in our tool belt uh, to get us past that hump. And, and you know, it's, it, is, it is photography that we're talking about because we, we photographed him and it's literally using that photography, um, but it's processed in the final image. And, um, and so we, we have to determine if there's certain shots that need it or they don't, uh, if our acid could hold up as it is because the acid was pretty good to begin with. We put a lot of effort into that. A, coming from Weta, B, uh, adding additional uh, facial modeling to, um, to, to the acid itself internally. So, uh, you know, it's, um, I feel that once you have an acid on a show such as, such as Black Adam or any large visual effects show, if you have the acid, then towards the end of the show, that you feel more confident in doing these big shots that are all CG. Yeah, I guess the great thing is you had such good ground truth, right? Because you, you had him with the cloak uh, and uh, you had him with interactive lighting. And so I think sometimes people hear that you replace stuff and it sounds like, well, what a waste of time that was. But of course it isn't because having that ground truth of how stuff is working is so insightful, I imagine, to your uh, your team to to nail realism. That's right. Yeah. I, I, and And it's what's in the tool belt. So... Like you mentioned earlier, yeah, we it seems like all the VFX vendors have their own special sauce now. You know, Weta has their ILM has theirs, DD has ours, um, and it's you got to really just look like what what tools that we need for certain shots, and they're, they're very specified. Let's switch the conversation to an artistic sort of because I think you you know we're discussing what is basically excellence in technical um, accuracy, but in, from an artistic point of view, how hard was it to get the right lighting on his skin? I mean, he has a darker skin. It's in a, under a cloak hood in a darkened cave in a like, you know, very kind of moody uh, sort of subtext of um, us as the audience coming to see who it is and, and understand it. Um, just at a creative level, like you need to see the character at one level, but we sort of, you need to also have him in the shadows because that's the nature of the, the character. How, how hard was it to find that artistically, the, the sort of the right lighting? I think it really came down to um, you know, using the lighting that we have for reference on set, which was excellent, and just really nailing his uh, specular component. Uh, there were many times where I, yeah, seeing Dwayne Johnson on set uh, live, he's in that hot suit and he was sweating quite a bit. Um, you know, so the, the, he always had his guy who was patting him down um, before every shot, and so the, you know there was a, a certain amount of specularity that we. Had to make sure that we could match or change the look dev on per shot or adjust the specularity to to see if if, if it's matching what we had on that set if we're going to replace that shot or it was just used for reference yeah i mean obviously you had to cut cut for cut into 100 live action to, to your stuff and then what about the movement because that's now really moving away from realism because obviously the character moves in ways that just no one's ever seen before um right. How hard was it to find that as a creative balance between believable for something that is inherently unbelievable because you know it just breaks the laws of physics? Yeah, there, there was uh, there was some head scratch in regards to his the speed that he moves 
because we had a zip effect that he did and it, it was it's definitely how it was cut from you know he's moving real slowly and then he zips and he appears and then as he appears he's punching somebody and then how does that person react you know and um and so there was some homework that we had to do a is uh find the homework of Dwayne Johnson and see how he punches and uh, what sort of performance that he did and we we actually used a lot of his uh old wrestling <laughs> uh references which was great to find you know um our adam supervisor arda he he really looked for a lot of that stuff and we we had a great reference to see how he would fall down or he would get up or he would have a certain punch and how he would follow through and and we used a lot of those poses uh, just so it could have some of his likeness yeah uh, but then but when it came to how he would punch somebody uh, coming out of a zip effect, you know, that, that had to be tied with the shot. And and that was a bit more artistic on, on, on breaking the bounds of physics at that point, just so it could work for that shot. I mean, it works. Like I was happily sitting there eating my popcorn, you know, smiling. But I mean, if I was to stop and analyze it, I'd be like, hang on a second, that cloak's either going to get ripped off when he first starts moving, or at the end, it's going to have such secondary motion that it would completely cover his face because it would, you know, just fall forward when he breaks that fast. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. You caught that. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, talking it over with Bill Westenhofer, visual effects supervisor on the studio side, uh, you know, he, he wanted to make sure that when he comes out of the zip effect, that, you know, the, the cape, it's a, sorry cloak cloak with, <laughs> with, move with the inertia and wrap around him if it had to you know or, or snap back into place you know so it would have that sort of motion when he came out of the zip effect however we kept his hoodie much stiffer than the rest of the cloak um, because we wanted to conceal his head for most part of the sequence because that was part of the style concept that was dictated which you know, contrast quite uh, strongly with, let's say, when he's up in the uh, clouds and, uh, you know, much later in the film, obviously, when he's uh, uh, dealing with the bad guys, as only he does. Um, because by this point, we we really just want to see Dwayne Johnson and we want to get his uh, whole thing. But you're still having to deal with this kind of uh, believable unbelievability in his zipping quality. And also the audience needs to know where he's zipping to because, um I, I use the analogy of uh, people shooting phasers and and uh, laser guns, right? Which is like if you actually shot a laser, you wouldn't see it taking four frames to go across frame. But if your audience doesn't <laughs> right. see that, they don't know where they're shooting. And, and right. I felt like that was the same thing for you. It's like you needed a certain number of frames for me to work out where the heck did he just go. But by the same token, he should be able to get there in like under a frame. Um, right. So it was an interesting problem. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we did have the zip effect. And they, at, at first it was... It was thought of to be a bit more of a heavier effect right and then later we wanted to make it really subtle um because you know you kind of want to it's not really doing much except compressing air and and maybe kicking up ground dust or dirt or what have you um but then it was almost a little too subtle so we we made it a little bit more streaky just so you could see what direction he's going from a to b and it, I, visually i felt like that did help so so if that was a sort of a new solution, but kind of I got, you know, like a, a heritage of visual effects kind of clues where you might want to go with that. I could imagine somebody, you know, and yourself in the pre-production meeting kind of imagining I was zipping from here to here. That kind of makes sense. But but when you get to Dr. Fate's powers, like the kind of the idea of having this kind of magical slash shielding kind of 
glassy thing. Like that's got to be a pretty um, open problem. <laughs> it's not like you go, well, obviously I know how to do that or that should look like. Did that, did that come easily? And, and does the implementation of it uh, in any way problematic? Uh, yeah, he had to do a few certain things with his powers that we discovered. Um, he, 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 A, like you said, shield. Uh, P, B, transport. He, he could like grab someone and transport them away as he turns into this effect. And C, uh, transform from Dr. Fate into Dr. Kent in one of the shots. And there was a certain transformation that we had to do. Now, the, the look and style of, of that look. Now, Weta again was the the primary asset developer on that sort of look. Now I remember being on set, and Bill showed me early stages of just uh, single frame concepts that that Weta was working on, and we had a certain sequence that we had to pick up Kareem, one of the the characters in the movie. Doctor Fate picks him up and and kind of holds him out there in his cocoon of his magic power. That is no longer in the movie. Uh, however, we we kind of dev that out just to to try to get certain approvals from from our director. So you know, with our effects supervisor and our comp leads, we we came up with a certain look of something temporary that we could just slug into the cut. Um, at that point, um, that was more or less shared with Weta. Weta took that, and they were developing their own. They looked at what we did. They were inspired in their way. And then Bill actually gave us their final look, which was very similar to the first two, you know, the, 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 the initial concept, something we did, they did something on top of it. And then we got the final look and said, match that. So, you know, it, it was a back and forth on that. Um, you know, give a lot of credit to whether they came up with some really nice ideas. Uh, but, but was uh, that yeah, early it, enough that you had the benefit of onset lighting for affecting both the environment that this was happening in and to the actor's them or was this like a something that wasn't really resolved until later because that was the great thing about the cave stuff right like you knew the lightning was going to be lightning kind of thing did you have that for the well for example the shield effect did not right no. so that's a lot of comp work by your clever compers right because that's gotta yeah. that's got to be the thing that sells the shot is that this thing doesn't happen unrelated to either the actors or the environment yeah, and what was described to us is that it's not a lighting effect. You know, it produces a, a certain sort of glassy, uh, triangulated look. Um, but, you know, we, we use that glassy effect to refract light, which does actually light the set and reflect into either the armor or onto Black Adam, etc. on the set. Yeah, so there, there was a certain amount of lighting uh, effects and integration in comp to put that all together. Yeah. I mean, it's a difficult problem, isn't it? Like, uh, again, it's, you just have to, I mean, they work, but that you have to have them sitting in the shot and your, you know, your toolbox, when you go for making something sitting in a shot is contact lighting. I mean, that's just, yeah, you know, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So and they're, they're about to get that, that interactive light on set. Uh, it's, it just makes integration so much easier in the end. So, um, we touched on only ever briefly earlier about the mine attack sequence. Um, and uh, you know, the, there was must have been a bunch of environment work there as much as there was uh, anything else we've discussed, I presume. So in the mine sequence, we the mine sequence had an exterior, an interior, and a post-interior destruction because uh, that's when uh, that's when Black Adam goes nuclear <laughs> and blows up the whole 
mine and what 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 have you left so that, that's we had to have three different environments based on this one environment uh, a lot of the the exterior was built alongside with our led content that we had to do and so we, we started that asset off early and that that uh, that sequence for the exterior was a much longer sequence when initially conceptualized and and uh unfortunately towards the end of the movie a lot of that got cut out for whatever reasons and we only had a, a handful of shots in the exterior um so we had the exterior and a lot of it is is uh, uh black adam annihilating the mercenaries in their fly bikes and and destroying the, the exterior of the mine and then he goes inside the interior to look for Eamon, the boy to, to rescue him and that's when he comes across the Eternium cage and the rest of the the sequence follows. Yeah, I imagine you obviously had to make a bunch of digi doubles just so that Dwayne could throw them away uh, or um, uh, hurl, hurl them across uh, the uh, the virtual set. But um, just the environment work uh, that you were discussing, like um, I'm sorry that that was cut out. Though I guess that's looping back to where we started this conversation. A bit of the reality of virtual production, isn't it? It's like you can't really know how it's going to be used. You're going to have to build it for uh, a large amount of use and otherwise those assets aren't available at the led stage whether they end up as a large number of shots or not it's kind of uh, just the nature of the beast i guess but but how did you go about doing that is that was that all looked dev by you guys was there a just following art department that had done uh previous like how did you just the the vibe or the look of that uh remote location and stuff yeah it was uh <clears throat> started off with art department uh with art department and previous and and then there was a certain location that the filmmakers actually shot. I think it was outside Georgia. Um, it looked like a desolated area. They actually used some of those location shots in the movie. And so we we used that as what sort of material uh, this this mine was made out of. And and we we went with the concept art from art department along with this this live action shoot that they did. Um, as an exterior just to see what what properties what attributes what sort of materials that we needed to build to make it look like this this location shoot um it was a big build yeah um, and i think the, the hardest thing was to figure out what the scale of this mine is because you make it too big and then you put black adam in he's just he looks like an ant and so um there was there was a little bit of a, a head scratcher when it came to what sort of scale that we had to end up with and you know because we we didn't want him because he would be flying around and we'd just lose him real fast so and and, and plus if if he's he's fighting the mercenaries and we got a whole army of mercenaries on the ground you can't see them because they're too small so we had to do certain scale adjustments to the mine to make sure that we could actually see the mercenaries that he's fighting and and and, and that that had to be adjusted so that gets me to my final thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is actually kind of my favorite thing, which is like uh, the uh, electrocution death of one of those mercenaries at the beginning of the film. I mean, I just mentioned then he has to throw a bunch of them around. He does, like hurls them up in the air and out to the ocean, whatever. But, right, but, right. but the tone of the anti-hero is set by the electrocution destruction <laughs> of an unnamed mercenary um, uh, at the beginning of the film. And that was just both a fun shot, but also I just love detailed digital human work where you actually get to see under the skin, as it were, though this case uh, uh, under the ash uh, to, to skeletons and stuff. Can you walk me through that shot? Because it, I mean, it's great fun, but also, you know, it's 
clearly involves a lot of uh, innovative uh, digital double, digital human work. Yeah, we we call that the sequence of the shot, electrocuted baddie. Yeah. The bad guy, we call him electrocuted baddie. Um, and there is, there's a certain amount of shots where Black Adam grabs the, the mercenary by the neck and then he starts electrocuting him until he turns into ash and he snaps his neck and his skull falls down rolling on the ground towards camera and there was a at first you know the the challenge was a little daunting and we're like okay well this let's let's figure out how to do this and when this was turned over by jama the director you know he really wanted that shot to be long like it, it wasn't a short shot it was he wanted to see the shot where it the audience sees it and it gets kind of grossed out, you know, because it just it keeps going on and on and on. And and so, oh, okay, this it's gonna be a much longer shot than anticipated. Um, so we had to build an asset of this this mercenary. Now we didn't we didn't have a an extraordinarily high res scan of him, like we didn't have him through ICT or anything like that, but uh, the the scan that we did receive was pretty good. Um, so we went with it. We went with the textures. We we added more more detail. The, the the interesting thing about this one particular character, human being actor, is that he had alopecia. So he not only was he bald, but he barely had any eyebrows or any facial hair. So in some ways, you know, if you look at him closely, he kind of looks CG, and which was it didn't help us actually. You see. So um, that that was that was an interesting thing when we we really dug deep. Just yeah, imagine that. Please don't cast somebody that already looks like they're CG. To, yeah, but um, <laughs> note to self, right? Uh, and, and so that we had to build that asset and make sure that he looked photo real because uh, in that long shot, it, we we thought about perhaps it, it was a, it's a handoff from live action to to CG, but we thought it would be best to do the whole uh, transformation of him melting all in one shot all cg versus doing a hand handover from live action to cg and so we, we what we did was that we 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 made sure that he was photo real uh, uh on his exterior skin and then we went in and we made sure that we had a skeleton for him muscles um uh vein system uh capillaries underneath the skin uh so when when he's getting electrocuted and when he gets zapped a few times you might see subdermal. You could almost like an X-ray feel, like the comic books, where you're actually seeing his 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 bones through the skin and um, a subsurface through his his face, where he's starting to melt and burn and turn it into ash. And you could actually see the 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 veins through the skin, and then underneath that, you you see the the, the skull. So there were there was a lot a lot of assets or within this one character that we had to build as he was simulated animated and then uh cfx simulated for cloth and then once the cloth was simulated we get passed it off to effects so effects could actually burn the cloth <laughs> and so it could turn into ash and smoke and fire as as his face was transforming from uh, regular skin to a bubbled skin underneath and we used certain animated textures and those animated textures had to go through an effects pipeline to just do the animation of the textures that got piped through our look dev uh, so it could have certain animation on that. And then when all it was said and done, Mike, the last thing that we heard was MPAA thought it was a little bit too gruesome 
And so we had to cover it up with more smoke. Okay, that's what I was going to get to, because I was going to say, the thing I really wanted to know the most, and I, <laughs> I didn't think about this in the cinema, it was only later, I was like, I wonder whether the amount of lightning on top of him was always intended to be the case, in which case you kind of hit a bunch of sins if, if there were any to hide, or whether at some point you just kept on layering on more and more lightning slash, you know, kind of smoke effects and lens flares and just about everything else in that shot. Uh, and you were like, well, man, now I can't see the skin bubbling or oh, man, I can't see all this great work we did. I, I got to say that that killed us in the, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, you, can we have like an alt version just for streaming? You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Halloween version where we get to see him kind of smolder smoke and, and, uh, and break apart. Yeah. I mean, there was a nice shot at the end with the skull um, where I literally was like glowing like embers and stuff, if I remember. And I think did not the jawbone drop off as well. I seem to remember that being like just a right, really that, nice touch. That, that's right. Um, when we did this, uh, when it was shown the first time originally in a trailer a year ago, it was a year ago in 2021, it was uh, first shown in a trailer when he snapped his neck and the skull dropped, it, it rolled and turned into ash. Uh, director wanted to make sure that it was a full skull the whole way through. So we had to change that uh, simulation so it doesn't turn to ash and, and roll towards camera. And then our Adam Soup said, hey, how about if we just drop his jaw as he's rolling? It's like, great. And so we- And I want to buy the animation super beer because I thought that was just like, you know, it's like that was the sort of the exclamation mark. That was the signature kind of end. Like, uh, it was like, yeah, somebody loved the shot. <laughs> you, you owe Arda a beer. That's, <laughs> I'll get him a case for that one. Yeah, no, that was that was a cracking shot. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd, I'd say it was ruined by having all that stuff on top of it because it was completely in character in the film. It's just, you know, having an appreciation of the amount of work you must have gone to. It's almost like, I don't know, I, it's hard, isn't it? Like it works, but by the same token, sometimes you just want to have less stuff going on so you can kind of see the artistry of the team that worked on it. Um, yeah, and, and what's weird about it is that we we tried our hardest to make sure we're not cheating anything. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. we really wanted to show it. And and Jama was a real strickler with that. You know, he's like, well, why are you doing it this way? Are you trying to are you trying to hide something? Like, no, 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 we're not trying to hide anything. So we made sure that we could see it all. And then in the end, of course, we had to put the smoke on top for the rating. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm gonna say it's not like it doesn't work, right? It's just uh like I can imagine some texture artist going, Oh man, like I spent three weeks on that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And there was another shot too, uh, where Black Adam actually uh he takes one of the mercenaries and he he throws the mercenaries by his arm towards another three mercenaries and knocks one out. And oh, then, and the arm comes off? The arm comes off and he drops yeah. it like a mop. Then the arm drops. And when it drops, Arda decided to put a little twitch on the finger. As it, you know, it's kind of still alive. And of course, NPAA had a problem with that one. So that had to just be cut short. And we didn't get a nice look at that little twitch. Yeah, I mean, that... come on. Got him. He's, he's, he's the best. In some ways kind of bad you know yeah and, and well, that was the important thing right he had to be like not your you know your daddy's superhero in that shot like he had to be at that sequence just you know uh not caring about killing the uh the mercenaries and and not flinching from doing it but yeah that would have been nice to have to see the twitch in the hand but maybe again we can uh, ask for that to be added to the halloween uh version on uh on streaming with appropriate uh disclaimers i mean you know the body count is pretty high in a you know movie of this genre but i don't think any of us really thought that anyone actually had their arm ripped off but anyway that's a a, a, a discussion for for another time but it was interesting on that one particular shot because I, they actually use a prosthetic arm on set to drop um and it looked 
didn't look so bad. And, you know, Jama is like, looks fake, replace it. <laughs> that's what we did. And then it was like, well, if we're going to replace it, why don't we give it some animation as it's moving down or, you know, when it lands, so you actually see something. So it doesn't look like a prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, it's been great talking to you about the film. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed it. And uh, again, for the artists that worked on it, um, please know that we do appreciate all those little subtle touches, especially from the animation team. Uh, that's just uh, that's what makes the films really enjoyable to watch. So again, thanks for talking to us. Do appreciate it. And uh, and well done. Mike, I just got to say one more thing. It's, uh, this is one of those few projects that came along. We worked on it for a while, but it, it was a lot of fun to work on. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't feel like you know our team was killed by any means we we just we all had really cool ideas that we brought to the table we presented it to bill we presented it to jama it seemed like they were really receptive to it and you know it, it, and it really helped the team because then they came up with more and more ideas and and towards the end of delivering this film it was it was just a really nice nice soft landing and it was just a real pleasure to work on well good good especially given as we discussed at the outset you were doing this uh in a uh covid world of distributed uh you know which could in of itself just completely sabotage a film for being a happy uh you know cohesive project so it's good to hear that it worked oh absolutely absolutely thanks man thanks again yeah thank you nikos for taking the time to chat with us i think it's always interesting to hear uh, actual experiences and onset experiences with various virtual production techniques in this kind of new technology that's obviously going to become more and more commonplace in our industry moving forward. So uh, thanks for sharing your insights with that, as well as all the rest of the work that Digital Domain did for the film. Well, that's it for this episode of the FX Podcast. For Mike Seymour, I'm John Montgomery. Thanks for listening. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.